0: okay welcome ladies and gentlemen one and all to the madero especial podcast i believe this is episode four uh that we are doing this time around my name is dj joined by my co-host connor and our guest today jake Valerius. once again coming back onto the podcast this time not halfway through jake welcome to the pod
1: good to be here
0: All right, guys. So we've had a lot of action since the last time we did pod, a couple of double game weeks, a couple of single game weeks. A lot's been going down. Let's take a look at the state of the league. Jake, despite finally losing twice now uh, post the last pod in which you were still undefeated, uh, you do remain at the top of the table 23 and 2. Right behind you, we have Andrew 19 and 6 tied with Ian at 19 and 6. Andrew ahead of him uh, on fantasy points four. Uh, right behind that, it is Bro Brett, Annie's team, uh, in fourth place at 15 and 10. Connor right behind him, also at 15 and 10 with that same tiebreaker. Sixth place is Holly, Banana Fafana Party. I, that, that was a good name change. I, I, I approved of he's, that name change. He's
2: got a, a big problem with names. He keeps going back and forth between
0: several options and he needs to pick one and stick to it. That's very true, but I, I do like this one. I think, I think it's solid. Um, it's better than Bruno Kai. It is better than Bruno Kai. Right behind him, we've got Matt Calcio team of Werner Cable, 12013, then Dinius Long Throw at 9:016. 16, then me, here comes the sun at 7:018. 18. Uh, right ahead of Vardy Party at 7:018. and 18, Make Lovren, not War, which is Brad at 5:020. and 20. And our bottom of the table uh is still Sam 4:021. 21. Is a notable improvement from Sam's team, to be fair. And there is a possibility, I think, that he he leapfrogs uh Brad by the end of the year. But still He's on a five game slide though is he on a, oh he is on five <laughs> that's really unfortunate improvement. this team is definitely better than it was yeah uh, qualitatively. that's though. that's a little unfortunate i mean brad is brad's on the up and up i'm about to beat him though okay
2: i mean he's 5 and 20 so congrats but uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey i'm 7 and 18 i gotta
2: take whatever i can get that's true i mean i'm on a three-game slide as well so down to 15 and 10 not not a great time to be yeah. a maroon
0: that is the state uh, uh, of the league at the moment. If we do look at the Premier League, uh, we all know who's at the top of the table, essentially champions-elect Manchester City at this point uh, in the season, I believe on a 21-game unbeaten run in all competitions, 17 or 18, I think, in the Premier League at, at this point, and uh, just absolutely unstoppable. Uh, the, the point gap between them and United is now 14 uh, between first and second place, and that's just going to be insurmountable, particularly for a team of United's level of consistency as as seen today in their nil-nil draw against Crystal Palace. Uh, So they are in second, Leicester City in third, West Ham in fourth place right ahead of Chelsea uh, and Liverpool, Chelsea on 44, Liverpool on 43, other title contender or other top four contenders, excuse me, uh, Everton in seventh at 43 and maybe Tottenham at 39 and Aston Villa at 39, but we'll see. Uh, I doubt it, but they are at least within striking distance. And then everyone... Can we do betters corner and look at the odds on those and see? Sure, we can take a look, yeah. yeah. Uh, But then uh, everyone else doesn't really matter in the table. We will just say for all those Arsenal fans out there, hey, your team's in the top half again. 10th place, congratulations. Relegation zone, Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield with uh, Fulham getting close to potentially sneaking out of there, but we'll see if they do make it out. So that's the state of the leagues. Uh, So now we'll get into a little bit of the topic. So Jake... How does it feel to become
1: mortal once again? You know, it was always going to happen sooner or later. uh, I can go on record as saying that I'm glad it wasn't Brett. Um, But, you know, in all my losses, and it looks like I might lose again this week, sidebar, I fucking hate double game weeks. It's impossible to plan for them. Um, It looks like I'm going to lose again this week. But in all, all... the losses that I've had, I've still put up pretty good points totals, and I'm still averaging a pretty, you know, I try to aim to like 10 points per player usually um, on a normal game week. And I've, I've been about that number a little higher. So, you know, I'll take the losses as long as I'm, I'm putting up good points, knowing that I'll, I'll do do well most weeks.
0: Uh, you heard it from the man at the top no longer unbeaten but still uh in a very good position believe you've got the four games on andrew with it looks like about uh 25 so it'll be 26 about 12 remaining now i'm I'm
2: beating andrew
0: this week as well oh make it i mean
2: it's looking good um you can take a look at the at the matchup but it's uh it's currently 106 to 71 and i have one more player left to play so yeah
1: i've been i've been counting on that connor win but it looks like ian's gonna beat alex which means that ian will then close the gap to me to to three wins i think
0: yeah so three wins so three win gap between you and ian with 12 matches to play still pretty solid lead i would say Um, and if your team is putting up good points, that then yeah, shouldn't be a whole lot left to worry about. I do face Ian next week, so there you go. Who are you? Do you know?
1: uh, I mean, with 12 matches, long throw, which is I will also say by far and away the best team name in the league, but also a terrible team. So I'm confident going into that matchup.
0: Well, uh yeah, I mean, uh, you probably should be sorry, was he saying my team name was the best of the league? No, he no. was not. Yeah, I was gonna say it. Who, who was...
1: genius long, long Throat. Oh, Deenie's long throat. Okay, amazing, yeah. Amazing team name. <laughs> like he's not even trying for it to sound like a like a traditional team name, like a bunch of people put like like me, just put an FC at the beginning of it, and like that makes it okay but it's just like a a, a, a noun <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i mean the, pretty much everybody else has the the like sort of trying to do something clever but it's not really that clever thing going for them and alex is just a thing that one of his players does
1: sometimes <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like I, you, think, I, I think he named it when he, dina had that one game where he had five quote-unquote long throws that went you know four yards and everton lost the ball every time anyway <laughs> great game if alec has contributed nothing else this season he can be proud of that i would say was
2: it a was it a liverpool game recently when the commentators were bigging up somebody is having a, a good long throw and they <laughs> threw it like not even it was, to be...
1: uh it was against sheffield united on on the weekend i think it was Ampadu. yeah but then he did another one and it was a good, was yeah. good yeah He redeemed himself yeah
0: well, uh, from one uh, irrelevant topic to another, uh, Jake, I know you've been wanting to say this for a long time on the podcast, but let, let's get into it. Your favorite topic, if long throws aren't important, and, uh, and particularly that uh, big feud between uh, Stevie Nickel and the Liverpool throw-in coach, uh,
1: then keepers have to be even less important, right, Jake? I would say that if I were to make a list of all the things about a soccer team that mattered... I, I mean, it would be tough, right? But for a fact, I know that keepers would be at the bottom of that list. Would quite, they be, quite, would they be, quite far. Would they be above or below long throw They'd be at the bottom.
0: <laughs> They'd
1: be right at the bottom. I mean, we've seen teams in the league before, most notably Tony Pulis' Stoke, that really made use of the long throw to good effect. And when you have a good long throw, when you have a guy that can do that, and you're good on set pieces, a long throw can be worth, you know, a goal every three or four games that's like a good attacking midfielder or sort of rotation forward just added to your lineup meanwhile what's my keeper doing like screwing up every other game yeah,
0: i was gonna say what is your keeper doing jake it's uh it's you know we we, we know allison of course is a great goalkeeper but has certainly had um some of his rougher weeks uh, in the early his parts of this year. His dad just died, so I would I, think yeah, so. Yeah. Um, but um, would, you, would you compare
2: – I don't know. Tell me if this analogy is off. Fourth officials are to referees what goalkeepers are to soccer players. Is that not, a hot thing?
1: Not even that, because <laughs> if, the ref, if the ref gets injured, the fourth official has to step in. if uh, gets injured liverpool put on a substitute you know allison's just still in goal Um, but but seriously though what this initially started is sort of morphed into something ridiculous but initially this started because at, at the end of every season there's you know these 100 best players in the world or whatever all these lists go around and these, I don't know, these like newspapers, ESPN, whatever, whoever produces these lists, they feel somehow obliged to just throw a keeper in the top 10. Like, oh, we, we need to show respect to keepers. So we're going to list the 100 best players in the world. And we're going to have, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Mbappe, blah, blah, blah. And then Jan oh, Black at number nine. Are you kidding me? (laughs) It's the same thing with
2: FIFA. Like Neuer will be like a 91 and Messi's a 92.
1: That is absurd. (laughs) Like, okay, if we're ranking keepers, I have no objection. What's up, Luca? I have no objection to Oblak or whoever be a number one. But the idea, you'd have to go if like, I I think about these lists in terms of building a team, who do I want to start building around? And the number of players I would have to get through before I start thinking about building around a keeper is in the many hundreds. Yeah. They just do not contribute to the functioning of a team centrally enough for me to care. Of course, things keepers do make a difference to their team's performance. Of course, it makes a difference having a good keeper, but, Would I rather build a team around the best left back in the world, the best right back in the world, the best center back, the best center mid, the best left winger, and so on and so forth. I'd rather do that in any position ahead of building a team around a keeper. The keeper is the last thing that you worry about. It's what Liverpool did. It's the last thing they worried about. And it worked out great for them.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, keepers don't matter. That is very true. So, uh-huh. I, 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 here's here's a question. Do, do You're comparing keepers relative to other keepers, or excuse me, relative to other players. Do keepers matter relative to other keepers?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, obviously, I mean, like with Liverpool, we saw the difference from Carius and Mignolet to Allison was massive. But it's uh, a lot less
2: than the difference between Skirtle and Van Dijk.
1: Right. Uh, the other thing also is it. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I have no... Oh, right. Yeah, so the other thing is keeper performance is massively dependent on team performance, right? Like, there's a reason why every Atletico Madrid keeper for the past, you know, however many keepers they've had have been considered among the best in the world. And it's because they're playing behind a defense that restricts them to facing a certain kind of shot that gives them a very good chance of saving. There's a reason why everybody always thinks Barnley's keeper is one of the best in the league. It's because they're playing in front of defense that restricts them to facing certain kinds of shots that they're gonna be in a good position to save. Um, and then you compare him to someone like, the keepers now who make a, the biggest, the, the keeper that's made a, the biggest difference to the way a team actually plays is Ederson because of his passing ability and there was a period where teams thought they could have success pressing City really high, really aggressively. And Ederson just eliminated that as a tactic for everyone in the league except for Liverpool.
2: And even despite that, there are so many games in which Ederson and Allison, who are probably the two best in the league, make absolutely no impact on winning the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and that's, it's not their fault. They can be amazing at what they do. And sometimes Allison just stands back there the entire game because Liverpool don't need him, and they win 2-0. But, you know, there is almost no game in which Salah has no impact on us winning. And
1: Imag- Imagine someone telling you that if everything in this game goes to plan, you're going to contribute nothing. <laughs> the only person you could ever say that to on a football team is the goalkeeper. It's fairly true, yeah imagine saying that to a central midfielder
0: yeah that would never it's not,
1: happen <laughs> it's even a defensive midfielder it's just not really conceivable so anyway keepers don't matter i feel like that's sort of beyond doubt the question is when are people going to accept it
0: so as with any rule there, there is an exception i think you, you already brought it up is that you know for certain teams that, that play in a very defensive style and rely on their goalkeepers to keep them alive in some games, it may matter. Do, do you think it matters to them? Cause for example, if you look at Sheffield who granted have a lot of other problems going on for them, but the difference between Dean Henderson and Aaron Ramsdale in terms of expected goals saved this season has been massive. It's something like but, seven to 10, but I guess I
2: think some of that stuff is fluky. Like Ramsdale was the best player on the field allegedly for most of the game on Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. And I think on one hand, some people might look at it as like, clearly Ramsdale matters because he mattered that day. But Ramsdale is a player who I think we'd all agree doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Like, he's not somebody who matters. You can find an Aaron Ramsdale anywhere. Um, And he's capable of shutting Liverpool out with five saves and a half uh, on any given weekend.
1: The other other thing about the expected goals thing, this is when Man U finished second under Mourinho, a few years ago, David De Gea's base Manus expect to God against was very bad. And they outperformed it massively. And it was because of De Gea basically. Um, and he had a great season and and he made a big difference. But again, the, the problem with that is first of all, and you know there are some metrics I think that people are working on to try and remedy this, but what we have available now is not necessarily that instructive. First of all, people who overperform or underperform expected goals, we know over long enough time periods tend to regress to the mean. Um, the other thing is a keep. So expected goals is a measure of the quality of the chance, mm-hmm. and we assume that if 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 a team are conceding fewer goals than you expect based on their expected goals against number, we naturally look at the keeper as a big reason. But another reason could just as well could be if the opposition forward keeps kicking the ball straight at the keeper, Mm -hmm. right? And so, of course, you know some keepers are going to make a bigger difference than others. um, But it's probably more about the attacking player. It's hard to put that entirely all on the keeper. The other thing about Sheffield United in particular is they're underperforming; their expected goals scored. More than any team in the league, other than Brighton, I think. But this was true a while ago, um, and this is from a team to begin with that wasn't scoring many goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like, and 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 then look at look at what Henderson's done at Man United. You know, hasn't played fair enough to hey as an established starter and a good keeper. Um, but when he has played, you know, he's made some errors. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been shut down like a you know, nothing about what we've seen from it makes us think, oh, this is like a next level keeper that just must be starting. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it's just some statistical noise. Um, Obviously keepers can have great seasons. They can have great games. The things they do make a difference, but it's just much less of a difference than anyone else.
2: You know what this kind of reminds me of is in, in the NBA, um, three point shooting defense is oftentimes like a really big thing. Like, what percentage do your opponents shoot from three against you? And over time it's been like proven essentially that it's essentially a coin flip, um, not to the same degree as like opponent free throw percentage, but like NBA three point percentage defense, mostly players shoot three pointers when they're open. And if they make them or miss them, you know, isn't really a huge reflection of the defense. I think for soccer, most saves you look at and you say, any keeper should make that or any keeper shouldn't be able to make that. Right. Like most goals that go in you're like, yeah, keeper didn't really have much of a chance. And most saves, even the ones that sometimes the commentators will label as a great save. You look at it and you're like, if he doesn't make that, he's getting slaughtered. And I think that's true for a lot. There's obvious like being mistake free is one of the biggest assets a keeper can have, mm-hmm. but it's one of the things that's the hardest to judge because it requires a huge sample size. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can like tell how many times a keeper like screws up, but it takes a lot of data points to tell that they're like actually better than expected at saving shots. I feel like a lot of what you do is just like, you know, on the eye test, like, does this guy seem like Allison seems really big when he comes out for one-on-ones, that seems like a big asset for him. But like, how do you really prove that?
1: Mm-hmm. One, one thing as well, that was sort of a big talking point for Liverpool fans in Allison's first season at Liverpool was this was especially big. They beat Napoli in in the Champions League group stage in the last game of the group stage to make it through to the knockout rounds, and they won one nil. And I think it was one 0 or maybe they drew nil nil. And in any case, Allison made a massive save right at the end of the game to sort of keep the result where they needed it to be. And I can't remember who it was on Napoli who had the shot. Maybe Connor remembers, but. It was, was it milik Yeah, maybe it was milik And it, it sort of just came ball dropped to him back post. It was sort of a bloke, broken play from a set piece. He was, you know, could see the whites of Allison's eyeballs and kicks it straight at him. And Allison saves it. And everyone's like, oh, unbelievable save, blah, 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 blah. And then a bunch of people are like, well, was it that unbelievable? I mean he kicked the ball right at him. And then a bunch of Liverpool fans who wanted to defend Alisson were like, yeah, I mean, it's not a coincidence that he keeps being in position to make these easy, easy saves. You know, it's like the debate between for defenders between interceptions and tackles. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, tackles look great, but if you're making a tackle, you know, the Maldini quote, quote, if I'm making a tackle, I've already made a mistake. And it's like, well, you know, that's just false, right? I mean, a lot of the times the defender is fucked over by the people in front of him and they have to make a tackle yeah all the time i
0: think Juan Basak is an excellent example of someone who tackles really really well
1: right and like you know and maldini is an example of someone who tackles really really well too and he's said the quote anyway um so yeah it's just it's just one of those things like obviously keep some keepers are better than others i mean there's no doubt about that um i i just think you know it's, it's very easy to, to over-exaggerate it without really very much evidence. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I think what else is true is that keepers are most valuable, and the numbers will bear this out, on a team like Newcastle that face a 1,000 shots because it's pretty obvious. Like The more shots you face, the more important it is that you have a good goalkeeper. Like in hockey, when they face 40 shots a game, goalies are actually super, super valuable because – that's a lot of shots to face. The, the, the chances that over the course of those 40 shots, they're going to be one that a good keeper can save and a bad keeper wouldn't is much higher than in a soccer game where you might have four shots on target. Right. Um, but that necessarily means that the most valuable keepers in terms of like difference between them and an ex- a replacement player are probably low in the table um, and probably not actually the best keepers because if they were the best keepers, they'd be playing for one of the best teams.
0: To back this point up, if we look at the best-performing goalkeepers fantasy-wise in the in the Premier League this season, uh, number one, uh, Emiliano Martinez on Aston Villa, 265. Number two, Nick Pope, Burnley, 229. Number three, Ilan Mel- uh, Melia uh, from Leeds, 194. And number four, Alphonse Areola from Fulham, 191. So, you know,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm- there you go. And Leeds and Villa—they're good teams, or at least above-average teams—but they give up huge amounts of shots. Um, and you know, last season, you know, everyone was hyping Allison. And this season, for example, Adrian's played a little bit, and everyone's just slaughtered him, right? Like killing him for mistakes that he's made. He's played like the first seven games of last season for Liverpool, and Liverpool won every game. And everyone at that time was raving about him, and he won the super cup and whatever in the penalty shootout. Um, and everyone loved him. Um, and, you know, Adrian is no different of a player this season to what he, what he was last season. Mm-hmm. Right? He's exactly the same guy. Um, it's just, you know, he, yeah. he makes an error and suddenly he's terrible and he makes a save and suddenly he's good. It's like, well, the winner, the loss has a lot more to do with, Things that have nothing to do with him than than anything else
0: so we finally hear the long-awaited explanation as to why keepers don't matter and a good explanation was but let's move on from something that doesn't matter to something that definitely does matter and i think we have to talk <laughs> about uh we as much as none of us here want to do it i think we have to talk about van city and and I, and I think the best way to frame this was a question that connor asked me i believe yesterday while we were running is you know, what changed for this team who is now on a 21 match on beat and run? Uh, I gave a couple examples to him, but I'd like to hear had, you guys We had say. different
2: answers. I'd, so. like,
0: I'd like to hear what you guys have to say, but, you know, these, this team was adrift at the beginning of the season. And the last game that they did lose to Tottenham, they were nowhere in that game. They were absolutely dominated by Mourinho's team, who I think we can all agree is an average team, slightly above average at best with with just a couple of world-class players. And they really struggled on the offensive end, which is something that they, has been their hallmark for forever. And, you know, after that game, all of a sudden, John Stones comes back and is a good player. And then just everything starts to click for City. And now they're just completely unstoppable. So, um, you know, let,
1: let's let's talk to her. What, what, what do you think happened, Jake? And how, how did we get here? I haven't watched a huge amount of City this season, Um so, I mean, I, haven't, I don't have a sort of in-depth tactical answer. They're really boring. <laughs> but, right, yeah, I mean, I, I know that. What, what I will say, uh, there's a, a few things are notable. First of all, and, and Connor can, can attest to this because he has the receipts in his text messages somewhere, City were never as bad as they were made out to be last season or at the beginning of this season. Certainly. So that was just never, ever true. The idea that city were terrible last season was false um they struggled defensively that was they, it they, they they had they didn't even really struggle defensively they struggled specifically in particular transition situations where plays got broken down um and their defenders were having to defend in space but as is always the case with City, most of the games they lost were games that they dominated. They clearly created the better chances, and they just weren't scoring goals, and the other team were executing pretty well. Then we come into this season. Um, so, so that's the first thing. City were never as bad as they were made out to be. I said at the beginning of the season that I thought City were favorites. Um, I expected them to win the title. And I, I would have agreed with you at the time as well um and so from that perspective alone it shouldn't shock us that they're that they're winning the league what the, the really only mainly shocking thing this season is how bad liverpool are everybody else is more or less at the same level they were last season i think city currently project to get about five or six more points than they did last season mm-hmm. which comes down to variance and finishing more or less um so, I mean, we'll see how, how they end up. But in terms of this season, what changed? Again, like, there's... A, there's the, the defining feature of this season has been that nobody has been able to find any sort of consistency. Mm-hmm. Tottenham were top of the league. And Liverpool were top of the league. Mani were top of the league. Leicester have been top of the league for a while. Um, Every. Um, Hampton
2: were top of the league briefly. They were top
1: of the league briefly. Everyone sort of had their moment in the sun. Um, and... You know, I always say the measure of a team is not when they're playing well, but how they react when they're playing badly. And when Tottenham started playing badly, the wheels came off. When Man U started playing badly, well, I wouldn't say the wheels came off. The wheels were never really They would on. go
2: through dry spells. But, yeah. Um, the wheels are never really on.
1: Yeah, the wheels were never really on for Man U. So that, that's a sort of a different a different situation. Yeah. Uh, Leicester have had injury problems, which has sort of slowed them down. Liverpool as well. Um, and, and Man U, they, they, it wasn't a case where they started the season well, they had a dip, and then they switched something and came back. It was just sort of they started badly right out of the gate. They sort of needed to get, get, their, get their feet under them. Yep. Uh, and they were playing. They had no time off over the summer. Yep. Um, Same with City. So yeah, um, yeah. I was I was talking about City there. So they they had no time off over the summer. um, And Guardiola, you know, you got to assume he's the sort of manager who who needs that even more than someone like Oli, who has no discernible tactics whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once Diaz came in and he was going to be the starter, it seems like they just sort of sort of. When a Guardiola team is doing everything that it wants to do, it's very high risk, high reward. And they seem to me to be playing a less high risk, high reward style these days. Um, it's just a little more about ball retention than it is about um, getting forward, pressing high and creating chances. Um, that to me, And again, I haven't watched them a huge amount that seems to me to be the difference. They are not ripping teams to shreds like they did last season or the two seasons before when they dominated the league. Uh, they are sort of—it's it's more in line with the Spain team of 2010 than it is with the Barca team of 2011, mm-hmm. for example, on the sort of tiki-taka spectrum of teams. They're—they're um, they're just very controlled, dominate the play, but they're not throwing men forward to a degree that they're just getting shredded on, on the counter-attack in the, in the way that they have. So I, I think they've just sort of toned it down a little bit and been happy to win games one nil rather than trying to go for a four or five nil.
2: Yeah. And they don't have a center forward much like those Spain teams. Like, right. They get by on like having a ton of like really skillful players that can destroy you. But, you know, I think Aguero's absence has been notable and he didn't look very good when he came back into the team that might come obviously he's been like ridiculously good for them uh and a lot better than a lot of us thought he would be under pep but it does seem like there's life after aguero for them with the way they played
1: what encourages me though is i'm just a lot less scared of this Liverpool of this man city team as a liverpool fan than i was of the version of yeah 2017 to 2019 um I looked at that team and I honestly had no idea how Liverpool were going to compete. I, 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 I said this to Connor, I'm sure multiple times, but I felt like Liverpool's goal was just to outlast guard, stay good until Guardiola leaves. I, I did not see how they could beat that team. Just the, the dominance they had in every single game. I knew Liverpool could beat Man City. I didn't think they could beat Man City over the course of a league season, because the title race at that point was essentially a two-horse race. Mm-hmm. And okay, I I think Liverpool have a good chance in the two games they play Man City, but across the other thirty-six games of the season, I just I don't see who can lay a glove on them. Um, and I don't, and that turned out to be wrong. Um, but I don't I don't feel that way about this Man City team at all. They're just—they don't shred you up like other team, like the, the old Man City team did. Like they're—they're they're very controlled. They restrict you to fewer chances than that team. But we don't see those games where they're getting like five cutbacks to the six yard box to Raheem Sterling and an empty net, you know, five times in the first ten minutes of a game. That we're just not seeing that happen anymore. And that was, the, that was the feature of Man City's play that was always really, really scary. It was like, they can just do this to anyone. Even when they played Liverpool, I was just like, if we're going to win this game, it's because we're going to score or three or four goals. Um, they would just absolutely shred you up in, in defense. And they're, they're just not doing that anymore. They're having a lot of shots, but the shots are worse. I mean, the Wolves game is a good example. A lot of shots, but it wasn't like... These are shots from and maybe towards the end of the game. It changed a bit, but these are Yeah, work.
0: I mean, it changed a bit. The Wolves gave up a little bit after getting scored on the second time. It does right. seem like uh, – like, if you look at Guardiola,
2: the team that was the most ruthless had Sterling playing on the right, Sané on the left, cutbacks <clears throat> into the middle, two fullbacks that, you know, at that point in time – like, they were both pretty, like, width-based, whereas you look at, like, his Bayern teams and the City team now – it's a lot like he's kind of gone back to what he had at Byron where he put Alaba and Lom were basically like center mids when they had the ball and that Byron team was really control-based both wide players would cut in and it's a little bit more like that I feel like they've got a, a lot narrower approach um, part of that could be that they don't have a center forward and so there's not as much like you get wide so that you can play the ball into someone who's a natural finisher and they just don't play like that anymore
1: I'm very concerned they're gonna buy Holland though
2: yeah. And that's troubling. And say nothing of Messi.
1: Yeah. Um, that's a separate issue because I like Messi and I, so it's, it's a complicated emotional situation for me. But the one thing I will say about City, the one more thing, which I do, I'm not a Ruben Diaz buyer. Mm. Um, it's not, people are talking about him like he's City's Van Dyke and that the effect he's had on the team has been transformational in the same way that Van Dyke's arrival at Liverpool was transformational. And I just don't really see that. Um, he's definitely done well. He, he deserves a lot of credit. But it seems to me that there, when City were, were, were losing games last season and the beginning of this season, they were losing games in the same way, which was they were losing the ball – and teams were beating them quickly on the counter-attack, and their center-backs were getting isolated in space against players like, you know, Harry Kane, Son, Jamie Vardy.
2: That Leicester game, really, this season, I don't know if you saw Yeah.
1: Right, yeah, that game was a perfect example of it. And the problem wasn't the defenders. The problem was that the defenders were completely exposed by the fact that when City were losing the ball in transition, there was no discernible counter press and they were just you know left left out to dry basically and since diaz has arrived i haven't seen him in those sorts of situations um and what sets van dyke apart in my i don't want to make this like a van dyke versus diaz thing i don't really care but what sets van dyke apart and what set him apart when he arrived at liverpool is he can actually survive in those situations where he's by himself running back to goal and just totally isolated. Uh, he can he can get himself out of those situations and slow the play down and you know reduce the danger as much as anyone possibly could. One thing that stands out to me about Diaz is he's not that fast. And if City are going to be playing a really high line again, that's and they get beaten on the press, that's going to get exposed.
2: They probably need to pair him with Kyle Walker to survive in those situations.
1: Right. And, and with Cancelo playing, God knows what position. Yeah. he's not. And Cancelo's unreal. That's not a criticism of Cancelo. Yeah. He's unreal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. so I, I mean, I will be interested to see sort of going forward how it works. Because right now, people have just sort of given up. So you're going to win the league. That's fine. They deserve it. Um, but everyone else is sort of damage limitation when they play them. But I will really be interested, in, for example, to see Diaz in the later rounds of the Champions League this season, mm-hmm. they play someone like Bayern or PSG um against a full strength Liverpool, even a full even a Liverpool where Allison isn't passing the ball to ream Sterling with every touch. Um so I, I, the jury is still out on Ruben Diaz as far as I'm concerned.
0: I think it's fair to say the jury is still out on him. Um, I, I do disagree with you guys a little bit in the sense that I think having a little bit more control could be good for City in the sense that it has been their downfall, their high risk, high reward, particularly in the Champions League uh, in past seasons, which has garnered a lot of criticism. And as much as it's maybe not as exciting or as as scary to a lot of teams, it is the sort of, control that could net you tighter wins in competitions like that
1: against better teams. Um, I, so- I, w- I would, w- w- just to clarify, I would not say that it's a necessarily a worse thing for them. It's just, it scares me less. Right, right, right. Because I think there's going to be over the course of a league season. I'm just going to back the team that scores endless amounts of goals rather than the team that has a good defense. I think there's actually a lot of data now suggesting that better teams win a higher percentage of games when there are more goals. Mm -hmm. So an end-to-end open game tends to favor more talented teams. But like you said, in the Champions League, that's going to be mitigated because it's not obvious that city are more talented than Bayern or PSG or Liverpool or Juventus or those sort of elite teams. Um, but over the course of a league season, when they're you know you win the league by beating Brighton and Sheffield United, I, ju- I just I and maybe it's just because I, I it worries me less when they play Liverpool. I mean I know they just beat Liverpool pretty easily, but I didn't feel before the Allison errors that that was really a lopsided game.
0: No, and this, I do feel like I don't think this, it was lopsided. I, I do think City were better, but again Liverpool have dealt with. I thought kind of Liverpool
2: injuries. were better in the first half
1: yeah um but yeah I, I i i don't know i like this is just my sort of impulsive response as a fan of a team who is a rival of city by like that team of two years ago like they every time i play liverpool they they scared me and now if i'm scared at all it's mainly because liverpool have mm. you know they're playing their 19th choice center back so
0: any yeah. extra thoughts to add to uh
1: no i mean it
2: this is gonna sound crazy because they're on like the longest winning streak ever but i do think that this version of city you have a little bit more hope that like aston villa could tie them nil nil or one one than you would when sane was cutting back five clear-cut chances for aguero every game mm-hmm. in 2018
0: yeah i mean i i think that could be a fair statement i i me being the center back in me sees a little bit more control and likes it. And I do really like the way that Cancelo has been utilized. As you said, I think he's been exceptional since finally getting a starting role and basically just playing 8, 10, 6 wide midfield, wherever he wants to play, which has released Gundogan, Gundogan a lot. And We've we've seen some of the results of that. The, the man's been pretty cracked. I
1: don't know who owns him exactly, but they must be thrilled. <laughs> Danish long throw. which again as well is really evidence of alex poor decision making because there was no reason to think that this would happen to good so he sort of lucked into that one
0: yeah i would agree that he lucked into that one but enough with uh likely title elect city we do have a little more time i would say for one last topic is there anything top of mind for you guys Um, maybe particularly liverpool chelsea tomorrow it's a big game um I mean, Liverpool's
2: team will mostly pick itself with the exception of there's a couple of big choices. Fabinho is probably going to be fit. Going to go back into the team, hopefully at center back. Um, it's just a total crapshoot right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, between the new guys and what we've got, there's not really any good options, but Fabinho is a good option. Uh, he's been super impressive um this season he's an amazing player uh the other one is jota should be back i'm feeling like he's probably going to start on the bench because the front three are fit and actually like liverpool were pretty good against sheffield uh, had some trouble getting the opener but like they were dominating that game and like it looked like a reasonably decent performance so i don't think there's you know they can try to build off that and i would expect jota will be the first guy called around like 60 minutes when Klopp likes to make a change if things aren't going very well. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how I see it.
0: So maybe the more interesting question then, and, and something that is fantasy relevant for uh, a lot of people at the moment is, you know, what, what are Tuchel's tactics going to be? And, and how do you think those tactics have been settling in since he arrived at Chelsea? We've had, you know, some interchange between, you know, the right backs whether he wants to be more defensive or playing a three with Espelicueta who's definitely featured more under him than he did under Lampard. Uh, Reese James being more, you know, starting or bench, but not regular starter uh, and not a lot of Christian Pulisic and a lot of Callum Hudson-Odoi at right wing back. So, you know, what do you, what do you think Tuchel will will try to go with and how do you think he's settling in at Chelsea?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's really too soon to tell much. What I think is clear, at least for the remainder of this season is that back three is his preferred option um, and he's going to use that in their big games, which is why, as is playing, because he's pretty ideal as the, the right center back in a back three. The, that, that leaves a question at both wing back positions. I don't know why Marcus Alonso is even a professional footballer at this point, but uh, Chilwell's good. I understand playing Alonso if your only alternative is whoever that guy is. That Emerson? I yeah, Emerson Palmieri. who is, you know, one of those weird purchases where if Chelsea just didn't happen to have hired an Italian person, would just never have been anywhere near the club. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if Chilwell's had some injury problems or what, but he should yes. be starting as a left wing back. He's a good player. He's good going forward. I think that position suits him. There's a weakness in his game. It's probably, you know, doing the more defensive stuff. So that suits him well. On the right, Reese James and Callum Hudson-Odoi are both good options in that position. Uh, Kante can make a two-in-midfield work. I really like Kovacic as a player, Jorginho's whatever. Um, but honestly, if you've got Kante in there and you have a back three, you can sort of deal with Jorginho's inability to move more than, you know, 1,000 miles a year. I'm trying, think, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a slow speed and i came up with a yeah i did come up with a You came speed. up with the distance <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway georginio is slow and immobile but i guess he's a good passer so antuka likes controlling possession um the front three is really i think where all the questions come i'm i'm choosing to believe that the only reason mason mount is playing is that everyone else is dealing with injury problems but i've every day i become more and more concerned that mason mount is playing because tuchel thinks mason mount is good which i respect tuchel so i like to think that that's not what's going on here Mm -hmm. but you know it's it's always tough especially with someone like you know tuchel is known for tinkering and doing weird stuff and so I, I think probably we're not really going to get a sense of what Tuchel's plan for uh, Chelsea is until next season. Um, but for the time being, I think we can expect to see the 3-4-3 three, three, and we can expect to see the front three rotated.
2: Um, did you see the game in which Tuchel subbed on hudson Odoi at halftime and hooked him like half an hour later?
1: I heard about it. I did not see okay. it.
2: Yeah, that was fun. That
1: was very
0: fun.
2: hudson Odoi was not a happy camper and uh he he honestly like took it better than about anyone i've seen that
0: happen then to. uh a reasonable deciding then, not to come off for a penalty shootout oh that was a different issue but <laughs>
2: it happened to moist keen under duncan ferguson and yeah. he like flipped out i mean like it's super embarrassing mm-hmm. uh hudson and like clearly wasn't happy but he
1: didn't like storm down the tunnel like he sat
2: on the bench and i don't
1: know I, and well, well that's the other thing too you know um Tuchel demands a level of respect that, for example, Frank Lampard does not.
2: Or Duncan Ferguson. <laughs> or,
1: well, I, I would respect Duncan Ferguson. Because uh, he can beat you up. Living shit out of you. <laughs> There's a good reason to respect him. Could you beat up Super Frank? Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I myself against Super Frank. What a fucking bellend. Um... But yeah, I mean, and I, I think Tuchel's a good manager. I'm very interested to see what he does with this team because there's real talent in this team. Mm-hmm. Yesh is filthy. Uh, Werner is a really, really good. I believe in Werner. Um, once he gets out of his funk, I think he's going to be really good for them. And you know, we'll see. We'll see how he how he puts it all together. But I think Chelsea have a very good squad.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with that. And and I think it will be interesting to see how they finish out the season. And of course, whether they actually make the Champions League or not, because that fourth position really is still, I think, maybe three and four are sort of up for grabs, but there is a decent buffer. And let me double check this between. um, Yeah, there's a five point buffer between West Ham and Leicester um west ham do have a game in hand but i you know i, I mean i don't
2: expect after this west season do you doubt that any of these teams couldn't go on a streak in which they suddenly like i don't know i don't think anything beyond man city is that set in stone just because like you know would you be that shocked if like man you picked up five points for the next five games
0: uh yeah depending on the games i, I, I mean know. i i know they're very inconsistent but i do still think they i mean they play man city next so they'll lose that they'll one. they'll lose that one yeah um, and would you be shocked if if
2: they drew against brighton or something
1: right uh, against brighton maybe. Man united, on, on the long list of questionable Man United results this season their win against brighton earlier in the year was yeah, no they kidding. dominated yeah among, among the best yeah
0: <laughs> a penalty kick after the game had ended to win that one that was something else um yeah i mean man united could certainly like be very inconsistent I, I do expect them to struggle against teams that will pack it in i don't know if brighton will pack it in as much as someone like a zaha crystal palace would today um but uh i do expect united and leicester to maintain their position in the champions league um and so for me i believe the fourth spot is the most uh volatile up for grabs and Lester, we'll likely come down to liverpool and chelsea but
1: leicester are also getting crushed with injuries right now they are but I think if Liverpool win tomorrow, I think they're five points off of Man U in second place, having played the same number of games. Is that right? You look at yes. It? Yeah, I mean,
2: Man U have won one of the last
1: five. You know, five points, and then City play Man U on the weekend, and Man U lose that, and Liverpool play Fulham, and they win. That's two points between them. And I don't, you know, this season is not a season for making those sorts of predictions. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not confident Liverpool will win tomorrow, but um, it's just sort of suggests that the margins are really tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leicester as well, they're being crushed by injuries right now. Leicester are a good team, but they're getting killed. Harvey Barnes is out. Um, Madison's still out. Vardy's had some problems. Uh, and we saw last season, similar thing happened to Leicester. They were in pole position for fourth and they sort of crumbled. Um so we'll see.
0: All right, then. Then to wrap up the pod here with our last couple of minutes, let, let's hear it. what what are you what are, who ends top four? I want to hear it right now. We got twelve matches to go. Twelve matches in the league as well. Who? What's your top four? Or I guess top three below City because I think we all know where City's so for the
1: City will be first. I I can't. I'm I'm too biased, so I can't say. But it, I would say. Um, Come on, Jay. give us a bias. It doesn't matter if it's biased, just give us I'd say Man U, Leicester and Liverpool would be would be where it sat in that order. If I was order doesn't matter. If I was okay. if I was um Brad, for example, and I was looking to place a bet and I told this to Brad several months ago when the value would have been even better, but I would place some money on one of Leicester or Man U or both to miss miss the top 4. That seems to be like an obviously good value play. Connor. Are vulnerable.
2: Yeah, uh, I think West Ham fall out. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, um, I
1: think so
2: too. <laughs> yeah City, Manu, Liverpool. I think Chelsea have a chance to leapfrog Leicester. I'll go with with Chelsea, so that I've got a discrepancy with Jake. All right,
0: uh, that's
1: like a good bet because I mean, you look at those teams, you see who's maxing out, right. Who's close to their ceiling? I think Leicester are close to their ceiling, and now their ceiling just got lowered by a bunch of injuries. Yep. Um, Man U's ceiling is low to begin with, and I think they're just about puttering along at it. Mm-hmm. Um, Chelsea's ceiling is higher than where they're currently at, just mm-hmm. based on the quality of their players, and Liverpool's ceiling is higher as well, even accounting for their injuries. Mm-hmm. And they're just about to get back to important players. So,
0: yes, they are. All right. Then I'll wrap it up and I'll say it'll be City, United, Liverpool, and I will say Leicester find a way to scrape in after being knocked out last season in fourth. They'll find a way, but we will see. Uh, but with that, uh, that will end our fourth podcast of the Madero Special. Once again, want to thank. Uh, Both my co host Connor and Jake for joining us here today and sharing their opinions uh, and letting us know why, uh, once and for all, keepers don't matter. But thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you have enjoyed the podcast. Uh, We'll broadcast when our next one will be available, uh, both on Anchor and when we will be filming or, sorry, excuse me, I guess recording uh, our next episode. If you do want to be on that episode, please either use the sign up form or message myself or Connor, and we will try to get you on to the next show. But with that, I want to thank you again and hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful day.